Greetings. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Legacy Drawing Board, the podcast experience that wants you to build a better, more meaningful legacy by embracing the principles of good design. I'm your host, Ron Fong. In this episode, I interview Patty Rader. She writes a blog called A Widow's Journey. Today, she'll share with us how her legacy building changed when her husband died unexpectedly. Well, I have the pleasure of having Patty Rader as my guest on the Legacy Drawing Board podcast. Patty and I have known each other for, I would say, over 20 years. And she has, in her prior experience, she was a consultant for senior living projects, communities. She has experience in marketing and new business development. She's multifaceted and multi-talented because she also has a theater background. But what really caught my eyes that I saw Patty's recent postings on LinkedIn. And she started a, a blog called A Widow's Journey. I read some of it and it was very powerful because Patty was A, sharing her story and B, encouraging other people to be storytellers. Patty, welcome to the Legacy Drawing Board. Thank you so much. Well, Patty, the part of your legacy, a part of your life began, or another chapter in it, was when you got married to Ken. Can mm -hmm. you kind of tell us about that? Sure. So many, many years ago, seems like centuries, but not that many, I was a single mom with two kids. And I was determined to just do that for the rest of my life and trusted God with my life. And he brought Ken into my life. Ken was younger than me, a little wilder in some ways, but he was going into the ministry. And I thought, why do you want to have anything to do with me? I'm you know, a divorced woman with two kids. And I had prayed, God, I want to just be a single mom unless you do something miraculous, which he did. So Ken and I started this journey together um, through a lot of prayer. And we decided that the two of us together would be more beneficial for the work that God wanted us to do than each of us independently. So that's the basis of our marriage. And of course, we fell in love. And then we surprisingly had two more children, which was not supposed to happen, but it was God's plan. Um, and throughout that time, it was a lot of me taking care of the family, the children. I had, I did singing on the side and had a professional group that went around at Christmas, the mistletones. We had a lot of fun. And so I was, I was able to work during that time and I do a little bit of consulting, but most of my early years with him were just enjoying being, as they call it, a domestic engineer, a mom, a wife, and supporting him and loving my kids. And so that's how that started. And how long were you married? We were married 33 years um, and together about 34, but that was just the dating part of it before. And passed unexpectedly, suddenly? Yeah. Do you want to hear that part? Absolutely. Of it? Absolutely. Okay. So what led up to that was, um, I'll try to shorten it a little bit. Um, and anybody who wants to hear the whole story can go to my blog and read the whole thing. Um, but for the purpose of, of our time together, uh, we had been advancing careers. I had gone into the senior living community, like you mentioned, because of my mom's illness. Um, and I became an activities director. I had been a recreation supervisor, so it was a natural thing for me. I was singing for the residents, just loving on them. And a dietitian or yeah, dietitian company pulled me in to do their marketing. 
And so for two years, I did that. And my husband, in the meantime, was in a company that did panelized home construction, delivered houses worldwide, and um, just loved his career there. He just, he was like the VP of sales and all that good stuff. And uh, in the process of that, as I learned more and more about the senior living industry, I became a an administrator for senior living. I started working with Relias, developing curriculum and teaching other administrators. I mean, everything went so quickly. And I have to give God the credit because literally all the, the dots were connecting for us to for me to just explode in this career after my kids had grown up. Well, in the meantime, Ken was doing great, been in his, his career for 24 years. Well, all of a sudden he he thought, wonder, I want to do what you're doing. This looks like fun working with seniors. And he got his administrator certification. He got hired on at the property down by Capitol and helped turn it around quickly with a wonderful administrator there. And we were having a blast. Although in that same year in 2018, all four of our adult children let us know the exciting news that they were all moving out of California the same year. <laughs> Now they left, but it's taking our grandchildren that really was the issue, let's be honest. And so within one year, all four of them moved, three to Texas and one here to Bentonville, Arkansas, which by the way, I thought, who moves to Arkansas? <laughs> and um, uh, it, it, it's a lot like Folsom, El Dorado Hills, a lot of trails, it's beautiful. Not that I'm trying to sell Bentonville, but I am so old now. Um, anyway, so we went through this year of praying and coming for job interviews, thinking we want to be closer to the kids. Well, then all of a sudden, in 2019, I was helping uh, to establish and open a brand new property in Elk Grove. And the owners of that company were selling it and asked if I'd be interested in going to Texas and helping with one of their newly acquired properties for six months. Well, my answer was, I'll pray about it, but why not not just six months <laughs> can i just stay there because we thought here's our ticket we can get closer we'll get to texas so in a short amount of time uh literally 30 days we found ourselves in uh south or north austin texas um that's an experience that could take three podcasts oh my goodness <laughs> austin texas is weird they're right <laughs> and they call it weird um anyway so we went there um we got to be close to our two sons. Our oldest daughter was a little uh, further up um, in Temple. Then COVID hit. And all of us know what happened with COVID. Things shut down. His community that he was working so well in, um, they started having deaths, obviously, for their residents, um, not their staff. And I was now working from home exclusively. I finished that contract and was now working with Relias, um, their education program. And then... We were nearing the end of our lease in our apartment. Our other son moved to Bella Vista, which is 15 minutes from where we are. And we thought, why are we staying here? <laughs> and we decided, okay, we're just gonna move up to Bentonville now. And something Ken had never done before. He never took time off, even in all those years in that job. And I said, what about two months of just playing around? We'll live off our savings. You can get on a bike and ride it. You can go play with the kids, grandkids. And we both decided that's what we're gonna do. So for two months, that's what he did. And near the end of that two months, he started having some funky symptoms. Now, I had worked in hospice. Um, I'd worked with compassion fatigue, with mental health and aging. And I knew it wasn't a serious disease per se. I could just tell. I even did a mini mental on him. I know, doctor, I'm not supposed to do that. But <laughs> I did just to see, is there something else going on? And 
a week before he was going to start his brand new job, he came in on a 32 mile bike ride, pointed to his bike and said, I don't know what that is or what it's used for. And that was the break. So we said, you need to get this checked out right away. He went for a scan. I looked at the scan. Of course, I know enough about what it looked like to know it was pretty serious. And over the course of the next three weeks, driving back and forth to Little Rock, because, oh, that's the other thing. In Bentonville, they have like one hospital and then they have another kind of small hospital. It's nothing like what I was used to in Sacramento. Anyway, uh, it was discovered that he had glioblastoma on his left parietal lobe and they gave him if they were really aggressive meaning lots of surgeries and you know cutting it out and um doing lots of um radiation and chemo he could probably live a few years but he was already losing a lot of capacity his quality of life had diminished and he decided you know patty you know a lot about hospice i i just want to do that so he was diagnosed on november 27th and then he passed on march 10th it was very quick um so anyway, that's kind of what led us here and how quick everything happened. Here it is still the middle of COVID. I don't really have any connections here except my two kids. And we all know we can't lean on them completely. Um, but God provided everything I needed every step of the way. Um, and so anyway, that's that's what led us here. And I'm a widow now. And that just sounds so weird to me still. I, I'm brand new here. I'm a brand new widow. Um, we have a brand new experience with the pandemic being over. <laughs> There's a lot of freedoms, um, but it's reestablishing myself here. Patty, you spent over 30 years with this man, three decades, yeah. built a life together, mm -hmm. family and so forth. You pivoted. You moved halfway across the, the country, a new life, new everything. And I imagine you had a vision of what you got you were going to accomplish what you mm -hmm. wanted to do mm -hmm. how does that vision change with ken's passing that's a really good question and one that i um thought a lot about uh because our vision of our legacy when we were married some of it hasn't changed in that live your life with integrity and honesty and care for people and um follow after god and and be an example to others that hopefully um, you'll leave an impact on their lives in some way. And so that hasn't changed um, in that sense, because I'm still trying to do that. What we had thought we were going to do when we came here, um, we had been part of a church plant before, and um, he'd been involved in the ministry, and we had thought we were going to be part of the ministry here somehow. So that did change. Um, but the part of just wanting to leave a legacy that people, it's like that song, you know, I don't want to leave a legacy unless it points them to Jesus. It really rings true with me in that um, I could write books, I could write blogs, I could be a movie star. But as you know, unless you're really one of the top ones, nobody's going to remember you and they're only going to remember what the market wants you to remember about them. So the legacy now or the, the way I'm living this journey now is it's discovery. It's every day going, Okay, God, what do you want me to do next? And some days it's literally in the depths. It, you know, grief is rough. It really is. I, even though I worked in hospice and I saw this and I was a lay counselor, when it hits home, you know, they say the, the, the longest uh, distance is between your heart and your brain. And it's true. It's, you can know it, but it's just different. So 
part of what I started thinking about was, well, and Ken set us up well, very well in sharing what he wanted the kids to do. He wanted them to read Job. Now, how many little 10 year olds should be reading the book of Job? It's pretty depressing, you know? And yet he said, I want you to look at the stars in the heaven. And whenever you wonder why Papa's gone, you remember, if you can tell God how he put all those stars up there, he'll tell you. And they just look at him like, well, that's impossible, Papa. And he goes, aha, you got it. So, so that legacy continues. Um, continuing to, you know, somebody dies, they're not just gone. Their legacy continues on in the other people and how they impressed their lives upon them. But for me now, I did pivot. I had to. Um, I couldn't go back to work. I mean, literally, I had what's called widow brain fog. Um, and it was very, very difficult for me to even I took a volunteer position and it was hard to just work. Um, I have a little bit of ADHD, too, as you probably could tell. And so that mixed with grief is a really tough thing because you can't just go out and accomplish. You can't do you can't keep the wheels turning because the wheels are literally falling off the bus as you're turning them. So I thought and I prayed. Um, I thought about doing music again, again, no connections here. And we had started a blog for Ken when he was dying. So people could stay in touch, you know, people from California or wherever. And I had thought about it and prayed about it. I shut was shutting his down. And I thought, well, how am I going to continue this conversation with these folks that want to know how we're doing? Cause I certainly can't call all of them all the time. Nobody talks on the phone anymore anyway. <laughs> and, um, so that's when I decided to do the widow's journey myself. And I, it was, it was hard, Ron. It was like, oh my goodness, I'm really putting myself out there. Um, but I just started by sharing what I'd gone through, um, how the experience was affecting me, how I'm learning and growing through it and hopefully encouraging other people. And by doing that, it gives me something that I need to work towards and gives me something that I feel like I'm doing, not just for me, I'm kind of selfishly I am, but I'm also hoping that, you know, those women that are just so alone and so devastated that they will have hope. Patty, you worked yeah. in hospice. You've seen people go through the process, the experience of mourning and grieving. Mm -hmm. As a society, do we help people prepare for that? Because oftentimes we don't want to talk about death. We mm -hmm. put it off. But at the same time, the the impact of that and this, you know, how it really just how disruptive it is, how it throws you off, uh, the, as you said, the discovery of things. Mm -hmm. Yet we don't prepare people for that. No. And as you're going through this right now, did you think that from drawing from your experience with hospice that you could draw upon that? Or is this, again, just something that was just totally foreign to you? Uh, no, that's a very good question. And yes, I did. And that's, I'm so glad you asked me that because one of the most impactful, important books anybody can read is by Atul Gandhi and it's Being Mortal. And it talks about how the American society reacts to death and mourning. It, it really, it's an eye opener. And when I first started working in hospice, it was a required reading. And I'm so glad I read it. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but it's just really impactful. Um, and so that helped me. 
I had an experience once with a woman at one of the senior living communities that was in the process of dying and they asked me to come in and be with her. I was just walking through the halls that day. And the gal says, do your Christian thing with her. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Because I want to define what, you know, I don't have holy water. I don't know what you want me to do. Well, I had developed a CD years before in honor of my dad, Hope for the Journey. It's all old hymns and scripture reading. Most of the communities, I think still in Sacramento have it because they would play that when someone was passing or for their family or for sing-alongs. And she walks in the door and she goes, here, and here's your CD. I'm like, okay. So I put the CD on and I'm singing over this woman all by myself. And pretty soon a caregiver comes in and is holding her hands. I'm at her feet and another gal is coming and putting compresses on her head. The visual that came to me was, this is like birthing. People are surrounding the woman when she's giving birth. And it hit me, why aren't we doing that as a society as people are leaving this earthly body? And it really hit me and impacted me. So that was many years before. And that experience along with just all of them, when my husband went on hospice, I knew the right questions to ask. I knew um, what to say no to. I knew that here, by the way, they have this place called Circle of Life where when you reach near the end, it is absolutely free and they put you in a home and it's like a, a senior living, like an assisted living community, your private suite, round the clock nurses, and there's no charge. It's just phenomenal. So when Ken was going to go into that, I said, I haven't seen this. I thought it was going to be some horrible, terrible place. When we got in there. They just, it, it was a wonderful experience. But I also was able to, when you talked about the experience of dying, I wasn't afraid of it. I knew what was going to happen. I knew physically what his body was going to go through. He kind of slipped into a coma three days before he died. So now it was just a matter of waiting. Um, of course, the medication helps or lessens the pain, of course. Um, and it was brain cancer. So everything had crossed the meridian or whatever you call it. So he was gone. Um, but I still treated him like uh, he should be treated as a human being, as my husband. And um, I touched him, I caressed him. And one of the things another widow had suggested, um, a friend of mine, was um, put your ear to his chest and listen for his heartbeat. And it was so meaningful. I never thought I could have done something like that. And I wasn't afraid of it. And so I was there by myself with him as he left. And, um, you know, it's some people experience like a post-traumatic stress from it. Um, it's it's really rough. It really is. Mm -hmm. And it is still rough on me at times, but I still am so grateful to be able to have done that, um, especially in the middle of COVID when nobody's allowed to go in anywhere. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yes, being prepared. And, and I would say to anybody facing, I think that's part of what I'm doing my blog for too, is to tell others my story and share that it's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, it's going to happen to all of us. If you're in a wonderful marriage, one of you are going to die. I mean, here's the joke. I'm, I was almost seven years older than Ken. He used to oh. say, well, you know, statistically, we're going to die about the same age <laughs> or same time because of the age difference. So when he was first diagnosed, I go, what happened to that plan you had about the age? And he goes, oh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> and he goes, and I'm also sorry you have to stay here and I get to go be with Jesus, but you'll be okay. <laughs> so he still had a sense of humor. Patty, I, I think we all have experiences or know people where a couple has been married for a long time they celebrate their was a diamond anniversary or whatnot yeah 
And then when one individual passes within six months, the other individual passes. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. often say that's the grief. They just couldn't go on. Mm -hmm. Did that enter your vision or your thought process where I just simply cannot go on? Well, you know, you bring up a really important point because I did research on that too, because, um, and actually was teaching a class on compassion fatigue the day that his break thing issue, um, I knew what to watch out for because I knew that depression can hit um, this sense of worthlessness. I mean, and here I am brand new and I don't know anybody. Um, I knew enough of the warning signs to catch myself, to watch myself. But I don't know if it was a six month time or what time it was, but it did hit me. And it was more of not that I want to end my life, but of desperation. Like, what do I do now? The, the first year for me, there was so much shock in a sense, a good shock in that you're driving. You just don't feel anything. You're driving and you're like, I don't have any emotions here or there. And I knew because of what I learned and watched and experienced, that was natural and it was okay. I, I didn't like run to my doctor and say, hey, I think I'm dying. Um, and so being aware helped me a lot. I also joined a widow's Bible study that they have here. So I was able to converse with other women and still do. Um, we speak on a different level because we know in part what each other are going through. So we all watch each other too. Um, but in answer to your question, there is that time. And it's actually, as you probably know, it's it's diagnosable. People do die because they their heart gives out or they just are so depressed. And we all know that your neurological system has a lot to do with your heart and everywhere else. So you can get stuck in that. Um, and I'm not trying to be the doctor here or diagnose, but that it does happen. And I've seen it over and over again. A lot of times, at, at one point there was a study before COVID that the largest um, demographic of suicide was men who had been widowed over 85. And it's because they just couldn't live without their spouse. So, but yeah, it, when you have that many years with somebody, sometimes it's hard, like I'll say, I know how to tie my shoes, but sometimes I don't know my left from my right. <laughs> you know, it's just, and you, you look at yourself and you have to be easy on yourself. Um, you have to, take care of yourself. And that's a really hard concept for somebody who's always doing for others, which is usually a woman. They're always, you know, all of a sudden, what do you mean I have to do for myself? You have to stop. You have to drink that cup of tea and just look at the flowers or the birds. And, um, but yeah, it, it, it hit me. And I, and I will admit things have gotten better and better. It's only been two and a half years. But there are times when I'll, I'll get stuck in it again. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, help me get through this because it's rough. And so my practical advice for that is you have to do something that literally hits you upside the head, kind of to reset it, kind of like physical serotonin or something, you know, where you watch a funny movie or you go for a walk or you go eat ice cream. Um, you do something that will break you out of it because you can get lost in that. Patty, for your blog again, uh, A Widow's Journey, I read some of your um, writings and the people, what actually is very interesting to me is the people's comments. Mm. And the comments, the theme that seems to come up uh, repeatedly was that people thank you for allowing them to a grieve and mm -hmm. for your encouragement that somehow 
they didn't have permission before. Uh, and you were giving them permission to experience the full spectrum of emotions. Mm. Uh, do you read the comments and does it you know, resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. And and what you're reading is part of what a lot of them send to me privately, which makes sense. They don't want it to be shown on the website. Um, and that is, you know, you just go to the contact page of any website and you can communicate with somebody via email. Um, but yes, and it, it, what I had to be careful of in the beginning, though, is because of my musical theater background and being a performer and all that, I had to be careful not to read too much into what they're saying as it reflects to what I'm writing. Does it make sense? It's not a review. I have to really pray about it and look at them and go, this is someone sharing their heart. I don't care if they don't like what I said. I don't care what it does to me. I just want to know making an impact in their lives. And and yes, some of them, I, I don't even know the people. I've never even met them. And yet I look at that and I think, wow, Lord, I, I'm so humbled. And um, well, for example, the, the blog I wrote today and I shared how sometimes I don't even want to write. I don't want to do anything. And I feel like this gnawing, like, do it, do it, do it. It's the Holy Spirit saying, you need to do this for others. Not, you know, because I'll think, oh, I'm going to do it wrong or I'm going to make a mistake. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of, I hate to say it, my legacy too. You know, you, you're, what are the, you're the, you're the full sum of all your mistakes or something, you know, silly like that. It's literally, you're going to make mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, well, then you're not human. So anyway, but yes, I read those and uh, uh, it's, it's like the CD that I did years ago. I never imagined doing anything with that other than the, I think 2000 or whatever we got in the beginning and mostly gave them away. Um, and some young man once said, well, you know, it's on YouTube. I said, it is. <laughs> and all of a sudden now I can provide a link to it. So if anybody wants to hear the music and I still get people that respond and, you know, where's that little girl that sings Jesus loves me? I go, um, I think she graduated college. <laughs> and, um, but yet who knew when I did that so many years ago that God would still be using it now. And the same thing with this blog, who knows who's going to read it at some point. And, and just to let the listeners know, doing a blog is not that hard. It, I mean, it's hard to just get going, but you can do WordPress, you can do anything else. And it's like really not expensive either. You're just sharing your heart, you're writing your story. And I know that was part of your question um, in our conversation, but sometimes I think that if I didn't write my story and I didn't blog, somehow I would lose connectivity with people. Not because I'm on an island, but it helps having a conversation with people about what I'm going through. Patty, do you get comments from readers who are not widows? Yes. And what's their or what's their connection or how's your blog resonate with them, even though they're not widows? And then some of the other people that that respond, I knew through the years, they're not widows. Some of them aren't even ever married. And what they're seeing is um, courage and bravery. And it's helping them say, hey, if she can do that as a widow, I could certainly do something else. So that's that's something I didn't expect out of it. As you were right. OK, you talk about unexpected as you were doing the blog and so forth. Anything else that came up that was unexpected? Um. 
You mean as doing the blog or in my well, life? Doing the blog, the experience of itself. I suspect oh. you I suspect you probably were going in and had a, a framework of what to expect or how it would come out, the frequency, all those things. Yeah. Was there anything else that really just popped up and you say, oh, my goodness, I did not expect this at all? Actually, yeah, it's an interesting question because <laughs> I know this sounds crazy, maybe, but I really didn't expect anybody to respond. Mm. I thought I'm just going to send this out there. It's not like Facebook where everybody's, you know, doing all this. I didn't expect response on LinkedIn. You know, my professional site um, of people that I had worked with a long time ago, or I never even met that I worked for the company they were with. Um, that surprised me. And it surprised me that so many people, and like you were alluding to earlier, they're they're either not aware of what a widow's journey might be. They only see it from the outside. They don't understand that because the person's dead, their life doesn't just suddenly, you know, you flip a switch and now you live a new life. A lot of people are stuck in this, like I mentioned in the book, you know, they're stuck in this preconception of what that widow might be going through. There's also fear, you know, and there's, a disconnect. And I know one of the things I, I share, and I'm, I'm actually writing a paper on it, is how you can help a widow. And one of the main things you can help a widow is just stay connected. Send a text, send a card. Don't call them because they don't want to talk most of the time. Invite them somewhere. Put on your calendar every six weeks to a month, you know, whatever, in your calendar to send them a card, a postcard. It means so much to just get something tangible in your hand because everything else has gone in their lives and you think a text or an email will be okay, but holding something in your hand means something. It's something you can hold on to. So that's kind of one of my, my soapboxes. <laughs> Don't leave them alone. And then as a widow too, when people ask, what can I do to help? A widow can't tell them that. So make a list. Oh, here's all the things that I might need help with. And if somebody comes over, it's on the refrigerator already, or somebody will invent an app, I'm sure. And they'll already know how to help them. So I'm kind of surprised. And it's an unexpected thing for me to not realize that more of that's not happening, even in the church. You know, that, oh, well, here, go to this group or go to that group. But how about circling around this widow, like you do a woman who's expecting a baby and I'm not saying you give her a shower, but why aren't we embracing and helping our widows and widowers um, and not just anticipating or expecting that someone else is going to take care of them or they're okay? So that was one of the biggest things for me, the eye opener of, and then just walking it myself of thinking, wow, I've been pretty naive. This, this, this is tough. You know, um, there's a blog I'm working on, um, Grief Doesn't Win. And, and it's because, you know, there are people I've talked to that have just said, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's rough. And, and so anyway. <laughs> well, Patty, uh, thank you for your time and just the insights that you shared. And it did take courage for you to be able to expose yourself, be vulnerable, share your pain. I love the message about the people for women, um, their responsibilities, their identity as caretakers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden they need, they're the ones who require care and tension. Mm -hmm. And yet we, we're so used to seeing them in a particular lens 
then <laughs> once that lens changes, it becomes difficult to refocus and recognize <laughs> what they need uh, or that now the, the, the dynamics have shifted <laughs> uh, and they're entering a different phase in their life. And now they have a new identity. So, for you know, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you just, oh. you just hit the nail on the head because, and that was something else I didn't think about. Um, I mean, I've thought about, but you, you lose your identity as a wife, you lose your identity in so many ways and everybody else around you doesn't necessarily see it as a loss, but you're not the same quote unquote person in that it's not a couple coming over. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, so there's that difference that they're uncomfortable with. They don't know how to deal with you either. They don't know if you're going to start crying. And I have to drop in one and I, I'm sorry to extend this, but I, I had a joke. You were going to ask me about my blog and I was going to start talking about my dog and say, oh, I thought you asked me about my dog. <laughs> but seriously, when Ken was dying, he told the kid, grandkids, grandma needs God when I'm dead. One of the grandkids comes out and says, grandma, don't you have Jesus in your heart? Yeah, I do. Well, Papa thinks you need God. And the other grandchild said, his words are backwards. He, she, he means dog. So <laughs> shortly after Ken died, I got on a list for a little mixed breed from a local breeder, was waiting two years for a little female. She called me in November. This is only eight months after Ken had passed. I wasn't ready for a dog, but she said, will you just look at this little guy? I fell in love with him. I brought him home on December 20th and found out his birthday is Ken's birthday. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So I was like, God was just saying, here you go. And so now my dog and I are doing agility together. I take him for walks. And that is something else I would interject for anybody that knows a widow or if they have animals or if they don't have an animal, get them in touch with animals. Animal therapy is, it works. It really does. Um, and he's, he's like everything to me now too. <laughs> Patty, again, thank you very much for your time and open invitation for you to come back because I want to continue, I'll read, we'll follow you via the blog, but as you continue your journey, mm -hmm. uh, and I think as more and more people find out about this blog, and I think preparation, I think preparation, again, such a life-changing event with dealing with the death of a spouse, we don't prepare for it. We mm -hmm. tell people about how we have marriage counseling, we have parental classes, but that big mm -hmm. moment in terms of uh, the, the passing, the death of someone, we don't have any classes on. We don't do any preparation on. But we know, I mean, we some person may never get married. Some person may never have kids. But we know that person's going to die. Mm -hmm. We know mm -hmm. that person's going to die and all the loved yep. ones. Yet we don't, we don't prepare for it. So again, Patty, thank you very much. And I look forward to continue to read your blog. But... We will have you back on because we want to hear the ongoing chapters of A Widow's Journey. Okay. And the stories about the dog. <laughs> Absolutely. And I have to say thank you to two for what you're doing because you're giving a voice to some of the most important topics that as people entering this age over 50, they're not talking about. Now they're just retiring. And it's not just retiring. It's reinventing yourself and it's looking at what you're doing. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Oh, you're very kind, Patty. All right, Patty. Take care. All right. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Part of Patty's legacy is that she's a storyteller. Another aspect of her legacy is that she's encouraging other people to tell her stories, especially about stories of grief and coming to grips of losing a loved one. For my next episode, I'll talk about 
instead of getting out of your comfort zone, about growing your comfort zone. Please give your legacy the time and attention it deserves, because when you do, we all benefit. (laughs) 